0: So they're waiting for swine. So be praying for our kids today. Uh, Swine is their Merge Kids uh, leader. Um, So if your kid has a black eye from a dodgeball being thrown at them, they deserved it. And so uh, I'm joking. We're not allowed to do that anymore. So not anymore. So it's litigation. We can't talk about it. So if you have your Bibles, uh, let's go ahead and open them up to the Gospel of Luke uh, chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We're going to be... Uh, picking up uh, in our journey through the Gospel of Luke, uh, in, in the opening chapters where we were really a couple months ago now, uh, we uh, we walk together as, as Luke reveals the incredible circumstances uh, through which God sends Jesus into our story. Uh, and much of those opening chapters are spent uh, really almost like, a, if you were watching it on on a, as a show, uh, you would have these alternating episodes that uh, focused on John the Baptist, and then the next episode uh, would focus on, on Jesus. And then uh, eventually, really toward the end of chapter 3, we see these episodes begin to cross over uh, as Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, and then John will, um, as he always desired to do, uh, he starts to take an exit from the stage, and Jesus becomes front and center. And uh, in fact, uh, at the end of chapter 3, we see this baptism, and we see the heavens opening, and we see this, this, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove as this voice declares, uh, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And then uh, chapter 4, as, as, that, as that scene wraps up, chapter 4 opens uh, with uh, Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit into the desert to be tempted by by Satan. And now, this account is where we uh, really we found a resting spot as Jesus refuses to take the bait of Satan's empty promises as verse 13 uh, tells us that after Jesus has... Um, really rebuked and refused Satan's offerings. It says that when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him, being Jesus, Uh, and then if you remember in your Bible, we underline these words, until an opportune time. And so what happens from uh, chapter 4, verse 14, where we'll start today, almost through the end of chapter 9, what we get is this front row seat, in the incredible acts, and teaching and miracles uh, that Jesus performs as he ministers uh, to a region uh, called Galilee, uh, and and now much of what we're going to explore in these upcoming chapters are going to revolve around two verses and a major declaration uh, that Jesus talks about today in the reading of in his reading of uh, Isaiah. And so, so my hope and uh, and my continual prayer is that uh, these words would would come to life in our hearts, uh, that this would have an effect on the ways that we live, how we see people, how we treat people, uh, and 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 would have an effect in really every purposeful movement that we have toward God. Uh, that that these words would would bring light to the great news. Uh, that Jesus is declaring to us uh, this morning. And so uh, we're going to read this basically in three parts this morning. But before we do that, let's stop uh, and let's pray. Father, we come to you and we are so thankful uh, that you care for us and that you love us. And, and just as we sang, your, your willingness to accept us as we are, but then your love that, that longs for us to grow in holiness. And so we pray this morning as we walk through this, uh, possibly a very familiar scene for, for some of us, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in, in life-changing ways. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Alright, so, so verses 16 through 20, this is the way we're just going to break it up. It's going to be in three sections. And the first section is this dramatic reading of Scripture. And so uh, it says this in verse 14, and Jesus returned, so he's left the desert, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, and uh, being glorified by all. Okay, so, so really what we have here are these verses that help us understand the context of the scene that Jesus is walking in. Um, and it helps us understand that, that his popularity has been growing. And, and by, new, by now, the news has spread widely. Uh, and, and where we are going to arrive this morning is in the town of Nazareth. Uh, and, and what they hear is that there's this miracle worker in Nazareth. And so, so his family and his friends and his neighbors are anxious to see uh, uh, and hear him. And this is the setting for verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and and as was his custom okay so if you like to mark up your bible this will make you look super spiritual uh, as was his custom then underline these next few words he went to the synagogue on the sabbath day okay so so just a side note and i don't want to stay here very long but but when we see luke write these words as was his custom he went to the synagogue he's making a point to help us understand the importance of biblical community uh, and the importance of the gathering of the saints and regular attendance and I think we live in a time where where even Christian leaders and and ordinary Christians will will try to convince ourselves that there's really no pressing need for the community uh, that there's really I can I can have my relationship with God but then I can also that apart from the church and the problem with that attempt is that it's just unbiblical okay Uh, because God puts us together in fact there's a lot of illustration about about the dangers of being a sheep outside of the flock and and what it makes you susceptible to that God gives us the body so that we can be edified by one another we can spur one another on in love and good deeds and we can be protected when life gets hard we believe here at Merge that everybody needs a soft place to land when life gets hard. And the beauty of the body is that it provides that, that softness and that covering. And so, uh, in fact, uh, I think there, there are studies that show um, this decline in that, uh, that, and I can't remember where I read this, but um, let's just assume that I'm telling you the truth, right? Because that's what I always want to do. Um, that, that the average churchgoer goes to church 12 times a year. Okay, so that ends up being once a month. And now, um, when, when you factor in, you know, let's say that maybe you go to, to merge groups, and so maybe that number climbs a little bit, but let's, let's put this into perspective of, of about our health, right? So if you went to the gym 12 times a year, would you live in any expectation of growing in a healthy way? No. Because you would know even when you went in, I don't know why I do this, because... It's not, yeah, so Jeff, maybe you should show up to the gym a little bit. Oh, Brock, yeah, yeah, forget Brock's here. That dirt bag hasn't been in the gym at all lately. So, uh, I'm sorry, that's the redemption barbell in me coming out in accountability and love. Um, But if you just went to the gym 12 times a year, that would do nothing at the end of a year when it comes to your overall health and your overall strength. And so so think about that when we say, okay, I I can be part of a body without being in the body. And it's as if you take away all of your ability to lift the weights together. And so so no consistency lends the way um, to actual growth. Uh, or no lack of consistency. And so, so what we have here in Luke, I'm sorry, I told you this was going to be a side point. Um, but what we have here in Luke is, is is Luke's making this point that Jesus was a regular part of the gathering of the saints. He's a regular part. He's part of this community with fellow believers. And, uh, and now this isn't mentioned to to, to guilt you or to invoke guilt in you. It's just to lend a consideration. Uh, and so so let's go. Verse 16. And he came to Nazareth. Uh, where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and and I want you to note this, and found the place where it was written. So, So Jesus is handed the scroll of Isaiah the prophet, and he starts to open it, and he find this specific uh, set of verses. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's Favor. Verse twenty. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant, and then he sat down. And all uh, and, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Okay, so so, so we pay special attention to, to verse seventeen. So the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolls it and, and the place that he found is is really for us sixty one chapters. Into what Isaiah wrote. Okay, so this isn't like a like a oh hey uh, like, you know like the way most of us read our Bible at time like oh, let's just pick this spot. So so he scrolls and this anticipation builds and he finally gets uh, really almost toward the end of it. And uh, and what happens in chapter sixty one of Isaiah is this prophecy of the coming Messiah who brings the salvation of God. And so, so Isaiah says that the Messiah is anointed primarily to do this one major thing, and it's to preach. In fact, uh, and that's what a prophet does. A prophet preaches the very words and the very promises of God, and, and we see three mentions of preaching just in these two verses, right? That that to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to see, to set the free, the oppressed, or or to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the fact that Jesus makes it a point to find and to read this passage from Isaiah provokes really just uh, this wide uh, variety of difference of opinion on how we interpret him and, and his mission. Uh, in fact, sometimes people will take these verses and they'll interpret this quotation as as a political statement that Jesus was uh, being political, and they view Jesus as a as a social and a political revolutionary uh, because the reference to uh, because of these references to liberating the poor and liberating uh, the oppressed, and uh, and they understand this this passage to have implications really for the mission of the church, in um, uh, specifically in. The church's mission to alleviate the suffering of people who are actually poor and, and in prison. Now some other people uh, will view, some other Christians will view this quotation more in, in spiritual terms. They, they'll view the passage as a picture of the coming uh, spiritual salvation that Jesus provides. Uh, in fact, in this view, the poor and the blind and the oppressed are, are poor and blind and op- oppressed because of their sin. Uh, and so so isaiah sixty one certainly has in mind this um, sal- salvific uh, meaning I think that 's a word we 're going to go with it okay um, and so so this salvation kind of anticipates this time when when all the people 's spiritual brokenness and and all the people 's spiritual poverty poverty and and all this people 's spiritual imprisonment and spiritual blindness and spiritual oppression that that, that because of sin that, that all there will be a time when all of its restored and reversed by God. And you say, well, which is it? And I'm like, well, I think it can be both. And you say, so is this either or? And I'm like, no, I think it can be both of these things at play. And I think, well, well Isaiah 61 foresees this the salvation fulfillment. It, it, here's what we need to know, that, that it can't mean for us what it didn't mean for them. Okay. So, so when Jesus says this to them, it can't mean something else for us, that we can't try to fit it into something different. And so, so it can't mean for us what it didn't mean for them. And so I think the, maybe the best place to start to understand this text is to remember, firstly, that it's about Jesus and it's not about us. Okay? So when Jesus gets up and gives this passage out of Isaiah, he's not giving it about us, he's giving it about himself. This is Jesus saying to us that the prophecy in Isaiah refers to his own life and his own ministry. Now, everything that we want to interpret from there um, is an extension of who we are in him. Does that make sense? So, so and I think this will become evident when we get to verse 21 uh, but I think the second thing to recognize is that Jesus did, in fact, go to these very kinds of people and proclaim and preach and teach the kingdom of God. And so so the primary means of setting people free in whatever their social or political circumstance is the proclamation of, of the gospel. And the gospel always points to Jesus. So, So what that means is that the gospel has to be so real that it addresses people in their social and, and in their political position. In fact, one of the commentators that I read put it this way. and I say commentators, I don't know how to pronounce their last name, uh, and it would be embarrassing. Um, but, but it says the gospel cannot be abstracted from the real conditions of the people it addresses. Israel was under Roman occupation. Israel was oppressed. Israel was crushed beneath the heel of the Caesars. And Christ came to them preaching the gospel of the kingdom, not the kingdom of Caesar, but of another world. And he gave hope to a people broken by the rule of men. The gospel we preach cannot be an escapist pie-in-the-sky gospel. It must be a gospel acquainted with pain roughened by grit, and smelling like marginalized people. The gospel must enter the world as it is and proclaim to broken people a healing Savior. And so, so what happens here is, th- is that our challenge is not to be Jesus. It's, it's not to be Jesus either in our temptation uh, as though we are as clever and capable with the word as Christ was, or, or in our evangelism as if um, we are Messiah's entering neighborhoods uh, to set people free. Our challenge is simply to point people to the one who does set free. Our challenge is to, to to point people to the one who enters temptation to purchase our victory, the one who has come into our broken world with the promise of rescue deliverance and and his promise comes to people while they are in their misery like that's we sang that in our third song today right that that the gospel reaches us where we are at Uh, and that's why it's good news so so our task is it's not to form a a holy huddle or celebrate uh, these sublime things about Christ. Our task is it's not to swell our heads with theology and, and Bible knowledge. Our our task is to yes, it's first to feed on Christ, but then it's also to find beggars and tell them where there's bread. It's it's to go find fellow lepers and tell them where there is cleansing that that we have to remember that that we were the lepers who woke up one day and the enemy camp was abandoned and so so we needed the victory but we didn't earn it and so like people glad to have been found what they most desperately needed our task is to go into our neighborhoods into our offices into our kids sport teams and tell them that there's a savior who supplies all of their needs Every single one of them. And I wonder as I say those words, if you say, eh, surely that's for somebody else. So we move to, to verse 21, and, and it's so important we get this connection. Because Jesus reads these things, and what we find in 21 through 27 is this dramatic revelation of, of the scripture. And so, so this scene, it drips with drama and anticipation. And I, I don't know, I wasn't there. But but I believe Jesus understood how to own a crowd. Okay? Not in his ability to dupe you or to trick you, but just in his presence. So he comes in and, and Jesus rolls the scroll and he sits, he hands it back to the attendant. And then he just sits down and I believe there's this beautiful, awkward And it says that all the eyes were fixed on Him. And I think from that seat, He opens in verse 21, And He began to say to them, Today. Today. Not in Isaiah's day, but in their day. On that very day. Have you ever been, um, like maybe to a sporting event, that that you didn't know at the time was going to be? like a, a famous moment, but now that when y'all talk about sporting events, you're like, oh, I was there for that day, right? So Jesus comes in and he says, today, on this very day, today, this scripture, so the announcement of God's salvation promised long ago, today, this scripture has been fulfilled. So completed, it's been brought to pass, it's it's come true. So today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing so right in front of you with my words in person and in one sentence Jesus proclaims he is the Messiah who brings this great salvation that's promised to Israel in verse 22 and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth, okay? I want you to note that, because we don't end here, okay? We don't end with this googly eyes, like Jesus is so great moment, okay? all right. So so in verse 22, all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth, and they said, is this not Joseph's son? And so, so the people sit. And they enjoy their sermon, but they don't see the Savior. They, they, they think Jesus is a nice preacher, but they're almost too familiar with him. They, they, they all look at each other and they say, isn't this Joe's boy? Like they, they miss the very fulfillment of the scripture, that Jesus goes on to anticipate what the people are thinking. And he says in verse 23, and he said to them, doubtless... You will quote me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And, and he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And so, so, so Jesus sees them even though they don't see him. And Jesus says, There's coming a day where you're going to say to me, Doctor, heal yourself. And, and what that really does is it kind of it takes us, we, we can't help but think about the religious leaders at Jesus' crucifixion as they mockingly say to him, he saved others, let him save himself if he's the Messiah. And the, that day is, is coming, but right now what they really want from him is they want him to do in Nazareth, his hometown, what he's done in, in Capernaum, like, like a traveling circus. Okay, we heard the show was great over there. We'd like to, to see it here, right? And this will be a consistent theme with people who are uh, trying to come to Jesus without really coming to Jesus. Okay, we want the food and we want the, the miracles, but we don't really necessarily want the Messiah. And Jesus, every single time, will see through that. And, and so, so they want him to put Nazareth first. They say, hey, we want you to do your biggest stuff here. Uh, Mainly so that when people are coming into town and it says on the sign, Welcome to Nazareth, they can say, Hometown of Jesus and His Many Miracles. And it's this response. They they want Him to prove Himself by working miracles and putting Israel first. And it's this response of pride and unbelief. It's it's self-importance and it's entitlement. And Jesus finds no honor in their response. And this is where things start to get hard for them. Because they honor Jesus. Here's the thing. You have to receive him as he really is. Do you, you get that? Like, like he's not willing to be any version of Jesus that you want him to be that doesn't end with Savior and Lord. Okay? Like, he's, he's not your genie, he's not your your wishful thinker, he's not your, um, just, uh, I guess, lifesaver with your drowning. That Jesus is unwilling to be anything else other than Savior and Lord. And the good news for us is that's more than enough. That's more than enough than enough. And so so we have to receive him as he really is, the Messiah, the Son of God who alone rescues sinners from God's wrath and makes those same sinners righteous in God's sight. If you are found in Jesus, this is you. This is your story and, and this marveling of Jesus is about to take a turn as he continues to reveal and expose the heart of and it's important we make this mention to the church people. Okay? So if you are found in Christ, if you say, I am part of a biblical community, um, this is people like you and like me. This isn't God going into a downtown area and finding the people that you're like, oh, those are the worst of the worst, right? He's talking to the church in this moment. And he says this in verse 25, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and a great famine came over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sodom, to a woman who was a widow. Now, this is, this is just dripping with people that the church didn't culturally, didn't honor, and didn't respect. Okay? We're going to get to that in just a second. Verse 27, there are many lepers in Israel, in the time of the prophet Elisha, or Elisha uh, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. And so so we read these words without, if we read these words without taking in the cultural significance into play, we're going to be very surprised when we get to verse 28. Okay? Um, and so what what Jesus does here, and I'm, man, I'm so, I'm so thankful for these words. Because it exposed, this is, this is about to expose us. Okay? So, so what Jesus does here is exposes the hearts by revealing God's heart for the people. For all people. So, so the second part of this revelation is that, that there will be people in that very room who because they miss Jesus will be cut off. While there will be Gentiles who will be brought in. Okay, so 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 and those Gentiles who they hate and who they convince themselves that God hates, they'll be brought in through the gospel. It'll be extended to them, and so so Sidon and Syria, they were they were simply Gentile lands and Gentile people, and Jesus is saying that God's salvation passes over Israel at a time, uh, and, and went to these unclean Gentiles. And, and Israel, uh, as you walk through the Old Testament, they reject prophet after prophet after prophet, right? Um, and, but the Gentiles will receive them and are saved. And now what we find as we read the Bible and we see just God's story of redemption written, that that God has always intended to save people from every nation and ethnic group and uh, language group and not just Israel. In fact, Paul will explain in Romans that, that the Gentiles are grafted into God's salvation and really in a way to provoke the jealousy of the Jewish people. I find it to be one of the funniest parts of the book of Romans, which is a book that's not funny at all. That God is just prodding his people by saying, hey, these people you hate, man, I love them. I love them. And they're like, no, that's not right. That's not fair. And he's like, no, no, I love them. And they're mine. And I'm sending my son, and he's going to redeem them all. And so so this is what Jesus preaches here, that that some in Israel will be cut off. And then the Gentiles will be brought in, which is why uh, we teach around here. That, that, that every person has to make a decision to follow Jesus. None of us. None of us get to ride into heaven on the coattails of a relative. None of us get to ride into heaven on the coattails of a person that we admire. Or a buddy. Okay? We're not going to a club. We're not saying, hey, I'm here with them. That every single one of us. I don't go to a club either. Um, mainly because I'm not cool enough. So but, but look, at, look at their response quickly as, as we consider uh, how we should respond or what lesson can we learn, okay? So, so let's remember, verse 22, right? The, the people are marveling at Jesus. He does like this, this mic drop moment. He reads the scroll. He puts it back together. He hands it. Then he just goes sits down like a boss, right? And then as it's silent, he says, Today this, is, this, fu- this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Right? And so they're completely in awe of him in verse 22. And then we get to verse 28, and we find this section that's a dramatic response to Scripture. It's very dramatic. In fact, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up, and they drove him out of the town, and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built. Okay, Now listen to this so that they could throw him down the cliff. All right? So, like, I, I don't know how quickly you can turn from marvel to wrath, okay? I bet you our kids could be like, oh, it's like that, right? But, but, but in this moment, they're looking at Jesus, and he says these things. This is the difference, right? We're going to explore that just for a second. But, but he says these things, and they go from marveling to, we got, we're, let's kill him. Let's throw them off. Now, here's what I love about this scene. Because Luke doesn't give us any further explanation on on how this plays out. And I would have loved to see the Mythbusters on it, right? But it says says this in verse 30. But passing through their midst, he went away. Like, I don't know how that plays out. Like, he is the focus of why everybody wants to, like, they're only wanting to throw one person off of a cliff. And somehow, he gets away. St. Augustine, Mark, you thought that was funnier than, like, I think that's strange. Because Luke doesn't say how he did it. Because a magician never reveals his secrets. Um, That's not true. All right. So St. Augustine says this. They love the truth when it enlightens them, but they hate truth when it accuses them. Now here's, Here's what you need to hear. It's the truth. Okay? They, they love the truth when it enlightens them, but they hate truth when it accuses them. And I think these are very fitting words here in, in Luke 4, and I think they're fitting words here in this room. That, that, so let, let's walk, not run for a second, right? So, so what changed between the marveling and the wrath of the people? And it's essentially two things that Jesus has said. That he has said that there are those in the church who don't see Jesus correctly. That's what he says. There are those in the church you don't see me correctly. I think, I think Luke 4 compels us to consider if we're like the people in a synagogue who are missing Jesus. Uh, that perhaps we've been brought up in the church the way that they were raised in the synagogue. That that we know we know the language of the church, we know the culture, we know the rituals, we know we know the routine, but we don't really know Jesus. We haven't really given Jesus all of our heart because you get that right. That that when Jesus says I want to, I am your Lord and your Savior, it's all of you, not just the Christian part of you, not just the the easy parts of you. That it's all of you. I think, I think Jesus' sermon is aimed really at, at nominal believers or casual believers, at people who assume they are God's people, but they really have no living or saving knowledge of Jesus because if you did, your life would look different. That's the promise of the gospel, that God transforms us into his image through Jesus. And so our lives would look completely different from an unbelieving world. And I think the point of this sermon is to help us understand, do we really see Jesus the way that your life and your manner of living it should be distinct because you have the most beautiful story in the history of mankind that that you again I say this and and i don't I don't know if, where if you're this is you or not but but your friends shouldn't be surprised to hear if you're a Christian or not they shouldn't. That, that the Lord's application uh, to them and, and to us is that um, that you can miss God's salvation if you fail to recognize Jesus, no matter how many hours you show up on a Sunday morning, no matter how many potlucks you go to, no matter how many t-shirts that you accumulate from all the churches that you've been in your whole life. That you can still miss Jesus here. And I think the second thing, and I think this is probably more what, what drove them crazy and uh, drove them to wrath is that is that no one okay hear me when I say this no one is outside the reach of god 's love even if the church people believe they should be okay you with and no one the gospel is extended to everyone, regardless if you believe they should uh, have that extension. Or not, and I think it's, it's amazing how many times we're reminded by Jesus to never forget the forgiveness that God has extended us in Jesus. That it changes the way we love, changes the way we see, changes the way we serve, that we are never to leave this moment of our, of our forgiveness. That you never graduate from it. There's never a point where you say, oh, I don't have to worry about that forgiveness thing anymore, because we never leave that moment. We get to live in that moment. We get to worship in that moment. And I've been thinking a lot this week about uh, how the Jewish people, how their issue was the fact that, that the people Jesus talks about were Gentiles. They were people they believed to have no value. And so, so my ponderings and my questions to God have revolved around Okay, and this is this is the hardest part today. This is for me. This is the hardest part. But but who are the people of today's church that the church is so opposed to that they feel they believed uh, that they that they believe God should not extend grace and mercy and the gospel to them? Okay, who are the modern day Gentiles of the Christian church? Okay. And I think I think sadly I I have some. That that by and large, the church feels like they have to protect the gospel of God against. Okay, in fact, um, there there are many in our culture today that we treat. Now when I say we I'm I'm broad stroking this thing. Okay, uh, but but as a as a church. Uh, there, there are many who the church acts like they are outside the reach of God's love. That, that we have an entire community of people of the, the LGBTQ community who have no idea of the transforming power of the gospel because all they hear from the church is chastisement and condemnation. Right? Uh, we, have, we have people who are in bondage of drug addiction, which is causing them to sabotage and obliterate all the other decisions in their lives, uh, and they've never heard where they can find hope. Okay, we, we, have, we have women who have been ostracized because before they even knew about God's heart for them, they made a choice of aborting their child, and now the church says, I don't want anything to do with you. And what we do in these moments, guys, is we completely forsake the forgiveness that God has given us as a valve of curing all of our brokenness. And this isn't mentioned to to condone any of these actions, but it's also not to condemn any of these people. Like one of the most fascinating things that I've seen in Jesus, and this is something I'm trying to work on in my own heart, is his ability to look at a person and say, go and sin no more, and yet treat them with so much compassion that they say, I just want to live with you forever. Like what a picture of the modern day church. What a novel idea that we would be able to walk alongside people and love them in such a passionate way that we can say, hey, what you're doing is not healthy, that it is sin, and you need to repent from that and go and sin no more, and then they say, I just want to hang out with you guys all the time. That's the gospel. And it will never, it will never explode out of these doors until it explodes out of your heart. Never. Like, we sit here today, and, and we're, we're so casual. Like, I watch us, okay? I, I, I get a look at you, and I'm like, you don't get it. You don't get it. I don't get it. There are people who you say don't deserve the gospel, and the gospel looks at you and says you didn't deserve it either. You didn't. And I wonder in this moment if if what wells up in our hearts for these people is wrath or compassion. And hear me when I say this, that, that Jesus is not saying all the Gentiles will be saved. He's not. What he says is that all the Gentiles are within the reach of the good news of the gospel. And it's not the job of the church to decide who gets in and who doesn't. It doesn't. What it says is that the gospel is for everyone. And then we let God sort out the rest. You know how I know this to be true because this is, this is my story. This is my story and this is your story if you are found in Christ because, because I am a Gentile. I am adopted by my Heavenly Father. I was given purpose for breathing in that I spend the rest of my life telling people, everyone I meet, that it's not a, that there's not a decision they can't repent from. And there's not an action God will not forgive in Jesus. And the reason is because he has come to proclaim good news to the poor. He has come to to set liberty to the captives, to recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so this is where we fall, okay? And we're going to end very quickly here. That... There's two points of application today. That number one, do you see Jesus for who he is? Like that's how we apply. Do do I see Jesus for who he is? And then I think secondly, do you long for others to see Jesus no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter how they vote, no matter what they listen to, Are you longing for those who are far from God find life in Christ Jesus? And if you say yes to the first application, I don't know how you can say, yeah, but, to the second one. You can't. So do we wish to worship Jesus as he has proclaimed himself as our hope, or would we rather try to throw him off of a cliff for exposing parts of our hearts we believe are righteous, are religiously superior. It's, it's a tough pair of shoes to put yourself in. When you say, would I sit in that room and marvel at Jesus? Or would I want to throw him off the cliff? That's all I got. Our desire this week is to love God Bye. Interesting. As we wrap up, we're we're not going to do a reprise um because Chris is doing everybody else's job in there. Um but but I do want to say this. If if you need prayer today, we want to pray with you. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, he is exactly what he says, who he says he is. Like he never lies about it. Okay? There'll be some people over here, they want to pray with you. Maybe you have questions. We sang that earlier. We welcome those questions. Maybe you just need someone to put their arms around you and and pray for the softening of your heart against people or for people. We want to pray with you on that. We want to walk alongside you in that. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you love us even in spite of us. Father, I pray you would put inside of our hearts a deepening desire for those who are lost. Father, I pray you would give us eyes to see people through the lens of your love. That we would be able to walk into the brokenness and the messiness and the darkness of other people's lives so that we can declare how good you are. And how Jesus' light will bring them out of that darkness and out of that brokenness. Father, help us be a people who didn't just go to church this morning. Help us be a people who are transformed by the goodness of you. And transformed because we know what you have done to rescue us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless. You're dismissed.